going. Right, conversations with Jesus. It's good at times to remind ourselves, ask ourselves, why are we here? Why have you come to church on Sunday? I can see a lot of other blank faces of thinking, uh, I'm not quite sure, I just do, whatever. <laughs> Seeing Sam Hank come across it, I'm sure there must be a few people else who haven't heard the old joke about the, uh, a new Sunday school teacher was starting for a class and tried, was wanting to uh, get some form of uh, contact with them. So I asked the question, you know, what's grey and furry and has a big tail? And all these small children in a Sunday school class looked very confused and puzzled. And eventually a little girl timidly put her hand up and said, I think, miss, it sounds like a squirrel, but I know the answer has to be Jesus. <laughs> uh, and actually, that is why we're here, because as we've been singing already, if Jesus hadn't come, if Jesus hadn't died for us, if Jesus hadn't called us, we wouldn't be here. And so it's important, as followers of Jesus, that we don't lose track of that. You know, in a sense, anything where somebody comes uh, and preaches is going to be preaching about Jesus in some way or another, no matter where we are speaking from. But I think as evangelical Christians, it can be easier for us sometimes to preach from the letters, and particularly from Paul, because they seem to be a bit more theological and give us something uh, we can sort of preach from. Well, when we come to the Gospels and looking at Jesus' life there, in some ways it's much more stories. And therefore it can be, you know, in some ways harder to pick out, oh, this is what we need to speak on. And over the last three years, at this time of the year, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at Jesus' teaching there. So when Sam and I were talking about what we were going to do this time, we had various ideas of things we wanted to preach on, and we'll probably get to some of those next year. But we felt it was important that we don't lose track of the fact that we follow Jesus and need to see what did Jesus actually say and what did Jesus do. So in this, is it 12 weeks? 10 weeks? 10 weeks. We're going to look at situations where people met Jesus and see what happened. So for the first one, I am speaking from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and verses 16 to 20. Uh, the words which should be coming up on the screen as well uh, for the various passages will follow in your own Bible. So, this is what Mark recorded at that point. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Having given the title for our series, Conversations with Jesus, this one seems to be rather lacking in conversation. Yeah, in fact, it all seems a bit one-sided. But that just goes to show that we need to go with what Scripture says and not force what Scripture says to fit our nice, uh, neat titles. But how do you picture what's happening here? I don't know if you've seen uh, films people have made of the life of Jesus. But you can almost get a feeling here that sort of Jesus comes sort of wafting along by the lake, sees this fisherman, tells them to follow him, and because of his charismatic personality or something about him, they just drop everything and follow him and go on. Is that the sort of picture you have? I know it's sort of, I find it's a picture very easy to drop into because that's almost the way it is portrayed often in films and so on. But is that really what's happened here? One advantage of having four Gospels is we can see what the other Gospels say. I'm going to miss out the next bit because I uh, want to save a little bit of time. But if you turn in your own time to Matthew chapter 4 and verses 18 to 22, you get much the same story, except the servants get missed out. Uh, Zebedee's servants. I'll come back to them later, though. But if we move on to the next Gospel, Luke, in chapter 5, he records this in a bit more detail. So this is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
So we get a bit more of a conversation in this one. And when we look at it, it's not actually that incompatible with what we have in Mark. Because often the gospel writers don't always tell us what we want to know. They're telling us what is important for their part of the story. But when we look at these different gospel passages, are they compatible with what we know of the authors? We know of Mark, that he got a lot of his information from Peter. And it basically, what he says, would be the sort of thing you would get from Peter if Peter wanted to miss out anything that specific about himself in it. Matthew was a local tax collector. So presumably he knew something about fishing, but he wasn't deeply involved. Luke, on the other hand, wasn't a fisherman, wasn't connecting with the fishing industry, and wasn't local. But we do know from Luke that he, when he was Paul, went with Paul to Jerusalem and spent about a couple of years in that area, he went around talking to eyewitnesses, finding out what happened. So this actually, in Luke, does sound the kind of thing, if somebody was actually researching, trying to find out what actually happened, they would get some of those details from people they'd talked to. Right, how does John help us? Because John's Gospel often takes a very different approach from the other ones. So let's see what John tells us about these disciples being called. In chapter 1 of John and verse 35 to 43. The next day, again, this is the day after Jesus' baptism by John, John, the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So here in John, we've got something which happens before Jesus goes to Galilee. So we find that Peter's contact with Jesus did not start at that time when he was at the lake, whether uh, fishing or whether just cleaning nets. Peter already had, and Andrew, already had some contact with Jesus. They had been followers of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had said, look, this is the one you need to follow. So, what can we learn from 
this about from what Jesus, the way Jesus interacted with the people. I think the first thing we can learn is that often think people had extended interactions with Jesus. It doesn't exclude Jesus coming into somebody's life and suddenly they change because of what Jesus has come and said or what he has done. But in most situations, when Jesus calls people, it's over a period of time. They interact with him. He says something, they start thinking about it, and then Jesus says something else later, and then they develop. Or they've heard his, him teaching generally, and then he talks to somebody specifically. So we shouldn't be surprised if when we're seeking to draw people to Jesus, that things don't happen straight away. We shouldn't be surprised if you're somebody who is searching. Things take a while to get sorted out. Even in our own, in a, those who are already Christians, often things take time as Jesus continues to teach us and we continue to grow. I think most of us are people who like to see things happen quickly. Now, we live in a culture where things are instant, where you don't have to wait for the next episode to come on television. You know, if you wish to, you can binge on a whole series in one go. But, often things which have had time to develop are have got great maturity. Often we find that Jesus takes us through difficult times so that we become more dependent on him. Picking up on what Carrie said again, you know, we are much more likely to call on Jesus for help when we're in a difficult time than when we're in a good time. Maybe if we want to stay in, have fewer difficult times, maybe we need to call on Jesus more frequently in the good times. I don't know, that's just a random thought. It's not in my notes. But let's make sure we are dependent on him. But also, we see that God has his timings for things to happen. Jesus had gone to John the Baptist to be baptised in the River Jordan. The bit I read in John happened in Bethany, which is, if you remember, is not that far from Jerusalem, because that's where Jesus went to on his way to Jerusalem. The Lake of Galilee is about, uh, I think it's about 80 miles further north. So in relation to us, well the other side of London. Well, about Heathrow or something, or a bit further. So Jesus had to travel a distance from where he was baptised to where he met these people on the Sea of Galilee. If you look in the passage I, meant, I 
which one was it I mentioned? I think it's uh, Matthew, yeah, which I didn't read. But if you go to the few verses before the ones I mentioned, in Matthew chapter 1 and verses 12 to 17, we find that Jesus comes to the Lake of Galilee when John the Baptist has been arrested by King Herod. So everything is in God's timing. So Jesus goes to be baptised by John pretty well within a few days, by the sounds of it. He heads up to Galilee and John gets arrested. So it's very much John the Baptist's time of ministry is coming to the end. Jesus' time is starting. And probably from a sort of political safety point of view, it's if John the Baptist is being arrested, apart from anything else, it's safer for Jesus well away uh, from Jerusalem, up in Galilee. But interestingly, when I was doing my sort of research for this, and I looked, thought I'd better look up these places on a, uh, in a, an atlas, a Bible atlas, one of the points it makes in this atlas is that most of the places you see where Jesus ministered were not big cities, were not the important places. Around Galilee, it was heavily populated Galilee, it was a very important uh, agricultural and trading area because all your different trade uh, uh, routes for the Middle East crossed around there. But it was towns and villages of about 15,000 people, according to the atlas. Well, actually, that's according to Josephus, uh, which was mentioned in the Atlas. So the sort of size town Faversham is. So let's not feel that in Faversham, you know, it's unimportant, God can't work here. It's the sort of place where Jesus worked, that kind of number. I think the second thing we can get from this passage is that Jesus called these first disciples to follow him. It was costly. It wasn't just a... Jesus wasn't offering just an add-on to your lifestyle. He was wanting to take over the people's lives. Now, not all of Jesus' followers get called to give up their homes in the way that they were. But I think there's some uh, significance in uh, Mark's Gospel where we're told that John and James left their father and the servants. I think in our culture that probably wouldn't mean a great deal. But we're talking about people who live in much more a community-based culture. Now, we live in a culture which is very individualistically based. We think we've got the right to make our own choices for ourselves, irrespective of what anyone else thinks. But, if you are living in a culture where you have the family business, the family business gets handed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. 
So James and John are being, if you like, working in the family business with their father Zebedee. And the servants are working alongside them, for them. But they were, would be an important part of that business. So by leaving and just them leaving Zebedee with the servants could be seen as a very big insult to their father. You know, you're not important enough for us to continue working with you. We've got the servants, they'll do. Now when Jesus calls us to follow him, it can mean, doesn't always, but it can mean that you end, Jesus calls us to do things which the rest of your family, your extended people who are important to you, think this is weird. You know, with, rather than just thinking it's weird, think that somehow you're showing disrespect them or to your parents or your family because of what you're doing it's a price we might have to pay but as followers of Jesus as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6 if I can find that and from verse 19 so 1 Corinthians here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul there is talking about the context of fleeing from sexual immorality. But his argument for doing so is that we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. So if we're following Jesus, we have been bought with a price. So although from our perspective, following him might be costly, the actual cost for us is less than what Jesus paid for us. And then finally, my third thing, I think we can look at this, moving on slightly from the passage I've got, is that Jesus calls all sorts of people. Going back into Matthew in chapter 10, from verse 1, where it tells us about the 12 disciples whom Jesus called, we get the following list from verse 2. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So these are the twelve people who Jesus called to be his apostles. If you were follower, followers of uh, best business practice and so on, you would not choose a group of 12 people like that. Because 
who would put Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot in the same discipleship group? Or to put it into slightly more modern terminology, Matthew the collaborator and Simon the terrorist, or if you prefer, freedom fighter. You know, you've got people who, if they met each other on a dark night, would probably stick knives in each other. But Jesus calls them. So when Jesus calls us, he's not just calling us, he's calling other people as well. And some of the other people Jesus calls might be people who you would not normally want to associate with. It's interesting when some sociological research was done, I think last year in this country, they actually found that churches were the second most diverse place uh, in the country. The most diverse is a football ground. Uh, But in a church, you will find a greater mix of people pretty well than anywhere else in the country. So, if we're following Jesus, we need to be happy to be with the people Jesus is also calling to follow him. And if somebody comes in who is different from us, even in a way which might make us feel uncomfortable, that is part of the price of following Jesus. He calls us to mix with all kinds of people. There's a quote uh, somebody tweeted yesterday from Dr. Russell Moore, who is the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention in America. The fact that he seems to wind up a lot of the Southern Baptist Convention people is probably, uh, to my mind, uh, a, uh, a recommendation. But he said this, We're not getting anywhere as long as we gather in church with people we'd gather with if Jesus was still dead. I'll repeat that. We're not getting anywhere as long as we gather in church with people we'd gather with if Jesus was still dead. In other words, if Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't make any difference to who we will mix with, we're not really following him. We haven't let him change us. So, although some of myself, when you come to church, we'd want you to be comfortable here. On the other hand, if we want everyone to be comfortable here, that means some of us are going to be uncomfortable some of the time. Because in one way, the only way you could get everyone comfortable is if you've got everybody the same. And say to people, if you're going to come to church, you've got to become like us and fit in. But as we want to reach the whole town, we call ourselves Faversham Community Church because we want to reach the whole community in Faversham. That means, at times, it's going to be uncomfortable. And... If we want to see more people come in, we need to be willing and ready for that. Because God, through his Holy Spirit, can give us the ability to live through that. 
Let's pray. Lord, you called Peter and Andrew, James and John at that lakeside. Lord, we thank you that you've called us or in the process of calling us. And Lord, we thank you that you don't just call one kind of person. Lord, we ask, help us today and in these coming days to be people who follow you, are willing to be led by you. And Lord, we do ask that you would grow us as a church here in Faversham, that we would have an impact across the whole community. And Lord, if that produces difficulties, Lord, that's something we're willing to accept. Because most of all, Lord, we want to see people saved and added to your kingdom.